Welcome to the inaugural Silver Rainbow podcast, Aging Fabulously, presented by LGBTIQ Health Australia. Developed specifically for the aged care workforce, this podcast will tackle common issues experienced by LGBTI seniors, share personal stories and discuss practical tips on how you can better support older LGBTI people. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on sovereign Aboriginal land and I acknowledge Elders past and present. I am recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people and our guest today, Amber Loomis, comes to you from Darug land. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So my guest today is Amber Loomis. Amber is an advocate with experience in community organising and community-based research. They currently hold the post of Policy and Research Coordinator at LGBTIQ Health Australia, and they previously worked in sexual assault and sexual harassment prevention and response in universities. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Amber about the evolution of the language we use in the LGBTI community and the negative impact it can have on older LGBTI people when the incorrect language is used. We'll be covering the importance of using inclusive language, as well as the specifics of that language for interpersonal relationships, for people's pronouns, and the concept of dead naming. I'll be your host as we make our way through. My name is Maeve Marsden. I'm a queer independent artist and creative producer, best known in the LGBTI community for curating national storytelling project, Queer Stories, for the last six years. All right, welcome, Amber. Hi, Maeve. Thanks so much for having me today. My pleasure. Let's get straight into it. What do we mean when we say inclusive language? Yeah, that's a really great question because I think inclusive language is terminology that we use all the time, but we don't always uh, take a moment to unpack what we actually mean by that. Mm. Inclusive language is all about acknowledging and respecting the really incredible diversity that we have across our whole society. For me, and for many others. Inclusive language is about showing compassion and helping people to feel equal and included, which is something that I think is so important for the aged care sector. I think that using inclusive language is one really important step that we can take to make sure that we're not leaving people out of the conversations that we have and the work that we're doing. And I think that includes when we're communicating directly with someone and also when we're describing someone who isn't present. So what do people do, though, if they don't know what the language is? I mean, a lot of people listening wouldn't be aware of the specifics of the different terminology that people use, but also within the LGBTI community, different people are attached to different terms for themselves or different pronouns or different ways of describing their identities. I really love this question. And I firstly would like to say that no one will get 100% of language right 100% of the time, but practice makes a really big difference. Yeah, we're both in this community and I'm sure we've both stuffed up. I've absolutely stuffed up many, many times. But the important thing is that we keep trying and that if you make a mistake, you quickly apologize and you keep going. There are so many things we can do to make our language more inclusive for people. 
whether that's asking about someone's partner instead of making an assumption that someone has a a husband or a wife, Mm. asking about what people are important in someone's lives rather than focusing solely on biological family, all the way through to what intake forms in the aged care sector look like. Mm. There's so many opportunities to make the language that we use more inclusive and to make people feel welcome. And I think that opportunity is something that's really exciting. So what are some of the proactive things? Obviously, you've mentioned adapting forms or considering asking questions without assumption of the gender. But where would a person go for that kind of information? And what other things can people do? One of the most significant things, and I'll speak about my personal experience here, I'm non-binary and I use they, them pronouns. And oftentimes when I'm filling out forms, there's not an opportunity for me to put down that my pronouns are they, them. And so I get misgendered all the time. Mm. And I, I think that we've got quite a lot of work to do in turning that around. And at the same time, I think we're really, really fortunate because we have so many wonderful LGBTIQ plus community controlled organizations that have spent time developing resources for people to go and look at what examples already exist. And we're really lucky that we've got programs like Silver Rainbow that LGBTIQ plus Health Australia coordinates that can help connect people into these resources that exist. When we talk about pronouns in a trans context, what do you mean? Like, give us the 101 about pronouns. So essentially, pronouns are words that are used to refer to a person instead of using their name. So they, she, he are all examples of pronouns. But it's important to know that there's many, many other pronouns that are also out there and that it's really best to respectfully ask someone what pronouns they use to describe themselves or how they'd like to be referred to as. Mm. What does a person working the aged care sector do? They've met a trans person. They're not sure about the pronouns. How do they have a respectful conversation with that person that allows them to include them and do their best to use the right language in this context? I mean, really, it comes back to asking that particular person what pronouns they use. Which you could ask on the form, conveniently. You could ask that on the form. You could have a separate field for pronouns. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I would love to see that. That would delight me so much. So ask it on the forms. You know, you can respectfully ask it when you're having a conversation with them. There's a significant history of discrimination Mm. um, that people have faced and I think that all people want to be treated with dignity and respect. Mm. And so as you work in the aged care sector, the opportunity is really there to show people that dignity and respect and respecting someone's pronouns is one way that you could do that. You mentioned, of course, that you're non-binary and you use they, them pronouns. And I think for many in the community, they may be more across trans women and trans men who transition ostensibly from one gender to another. Can you explain what it means to you to be non-binary and then also perhaps talk us through other non-binary identities? So for me, being non-binary essentially means that being a man or being a woman just doesn't really resonate. I feel like my experiences and who I am is outside of that. There are so many different ways to be non-binary. And so some people might be gender fluid, where their gender and the way that they feel depends on the day. 
And some people may not even have the language yet to describe how they experience gender and how they move through the world. So I think what's important about non-binary identities and working with and for people who are non-binary is to know that there's not just one way of being. And like I said before, I use they, them pronouns, but people who are non-binary may use any sort of combination of pronouns that, that they wish to use. One of the things I often hear from people who aren't in our community is that they find it hard to reconcile using they, them for an individual person. What do you do when someone says that? When someone's like, they, them, that means lots of people, not just one person. There are lots of different ways um, that we can help illustrate that they can be used to describe a singular person. Sometimes when people talk about a postie making a delivery to their house, they'll say, oh, they delivered the package to my doorstep. So I think people use it all the time and don't even realize it. And for me, what's important is to make sure that people don't feel embarrassed or ashamed of asking that question and instead opening up the door to a conversation to have, because I think it's important that we provide opportunities for people to learn and that people don't feel ashamed of asking those questions. If wrong language is used, how can someone apologize appropriately? Someone can apologize appropriately by doing so quickly and respectfully. It's important not to make a big deal out of it. It is so challenging when someone goes on and on for about five minutes apologizing profusely. <laughs> it, it, for me, anyways, it feels horrifically awkward. So quick apology, correcting yourself and moving on. And if you get called out on it, listen to that person. Try not to get defensive and try to do better next time. Yes. And I think we touched on this last episode, but just because you've got one friend who uses one term doesn't mean that the person you'll be meeting does. Uh, You might know the word transgender, but a lot of older people use transsexual. There are many different terms and identities and ways of living within the LGBTI community. And the ticket is always to listen and affirm. Yes. Let's talk a little about the impact of when we do get it wrong. Why is that particularly impactful on older LGBTI people? When language that's not inclusive, it can make people feel ashamed of who they are. It can have really detrimental impacts on mental health. It might bring back to surface past experiences of discrimination. And so, you know, the converse of all of that, of getting it right, means that we're creating a space where people can age, like I said, with dignity, can age in a way where they feel respected and can connect with people. It's really important that we keep people's mental health and well-being at the forefront of what we're doing. Mm. And so creating opportunities such as with inclusive language to help support that is so important. I think, yeah, your focus on mental health is so important because even if an individual worker doesn't understand trans identities or even doesn't believe in them, knowing that you're doing better at your job by just getting those pronouns right, regardless of your own experience of gender or sexuality, is so key. I want to talk about the concept of dead naming because it's one of the things that happens so commonly, especially in health and aged care settings. Can you explain for us what that is? Yeah, dead naming in a nutshell is when someone uses someone's name that may have been given to them at birth 
and it's a name that they no longer use for themselves. In many cases, a name where it doesn't fit with the gender that they are. And yes, you're right. It happens a lot in health and there are ways. I'm going to go back to that intake form example, Mm. things that we can do on intake forms to make sure that people's true name is reflected on documents. So that's the name that is being used when being spoken to, or, you know, if there's a conversation about them, that their name, their chosen name is the one that's being used. And I think it's worth saying that just because a person hasn't been able to legally or medically transition doesn't reduce the truth of that identity or their new name or their true name, as you put it. There are so many different ways of being trans and a person's transition can look like many different things. So some people may transition medically, which uh, means that they may have had different surgeries, for example, to affirm their gender. They may transition in a a legal context. So that could be getting their legal documents changed and updated to match their true gender, or they may transition socially. That's what I've done. And so that means that I ask people to use my pronouns in the context that I'm in, but I haven't done anything to change my gender documents or have affirmed my gender yet in any medical ways. And it's important to know that no matter what course of action someone takes um, to affirm their gender, it's valid. Someone doesn't have to go through all of those different types of transitions in order to be who they are. So when a person tells you that they're trans or that they use they, them pronouns or whichever other pronouns they may use, that's who they are. We've been asking guests, Amber, for one practical tip. If you could just have one practical tip that aged care workers can use in their day-to-day work around inclusive language, what would you suggest? Oh, that's a great question. My number one would probably be asking people about their pronouns and then using them. Very swift. Yeah. It's quite efficient. What are your pronouns? Oh, mine is she, her. Thanks for asking, Amber. Oh, look, we did it. Right. Yes. Yes. I love an efficient practical suggestion. So do I. Thank you, Amber, for talking with me today. I think it was really inspiring to listen to you talk with such enthusiasm about your community, but also showing how much inclusion can actually be quite straightforward. It can be practical administrative shifts like the intake forms, right through to those kind of more emotional things like the listening and talking to people that are harder to pin down, but are what we do in our day-to-day lives in order to care for others. Thank you to all of you for listening and for making time to engage with this podcast and with our community. We really appreciate it.